again. I'm hoping that uh, if you've been with us this whole time or on this this journey, if not, uh, you you've at least missed the intro to what we're talking about. And what we're talking about is God's involvement with man, with His creation, and uh, specifically in a, a study of angels. And so uh, we've seen some interesting characteristics of angels so far. And uh, I was talking to you, I mentioned last time that we were going to get to and talk about this, this angelic, angelic rebellion. Where, what about the bad ones? What about the evil ones? But before we get started with that, let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray. Father, I, play, I pray blessings on each and every one that are gathered tonight as we, as we continue this study. And I, I do pray for each one of us in our pursuit of you, drawing close to you, and, and recognizing your presence with us each and every moment of each and every day. So uh, help us as we continue along this journey to see clearly, to understand better, and uh, again, to acknowledge and, and, and feel your presence around us all the time. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, the angelic rebellion. Re- we're going to go to the book of Revelation. Now let me, let me preface this with something. Uh, when, you're, when you're studying the book of Revelation, you have to understand some things. First off, and this is a, a, the greatest importance to understand. After chapter 3 in Revelation, 22 chapters, after chapter 3, the book is highly, highly figurative in nature. It is a figurative context, okay, as opposed to literal, of course. And guys, that's why there's so many different interpretations of this book, is because it's so highly figurative, therefore, people have their ideas as to what those figures represent. So, so you get all kinds of different, there are so many different interpretations of this, this book. Now, the good thing is the message of the book is, is consistent across the board. We win. God's people win. That's the message of the book. Now, we're not studying the book of Revelation, but we're going to go to a passage from Revelation. So I wanted to, that's why I wanted to preface it with this idea of how highly figurative it is. The good part about this particular passage is God, he clarifies one of these figures, okay? Where it was figurative, he tells us clearly what the figure is, all right? And so that's a real blessing for us in this particular journey. We're going to look in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12. Okay? Now, in the first six verses of Revelation 12, it'll, uh, it'll talk about there's a dragon. There's a dragon. Well, you know what? That's figurative. All right? Now, the good thing about it is, it, it, from verse 7 on, God's going to clarify who he's talking about, and he makes it really clear. Now, watch what happens. Because, you know what? There was war in heaven. That's right. So, let's read Revelation 12, starting in verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Alright, so we see the archangel, we already know who that is, that's Michael. He and his guys, his angels, fought against the dragon, 
and the dragon and his angels fought back. Verse 8. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So who was the dragon? Satan. He clarifies it specifically, clearly. Alright, so, let's think about it for a minute. There's a war in heaven. Satan and his angels are, are hurled out, are cast out. Now, let, let's, let's just think about this for a second, because I want to ask you a question. When did, when did that take place? When did that, that war take place? Now, the scriptures don't tell us, not specifically, but we can at least figure out uh, some parameters to that. Okay? So, let's, uh, let's say this. That was just kind of a, of a statement. It had to have happened after creation and before the fall of man. Well, after creation, that's clear enough because angels were created. By the way, guys, Satan is an angel created by God. All right? He's not a little minor God. It's not like it's not like you've got a good God and a bad God. You've got God over here, he's a good God. And you've got Satan over here, he's a bad God. That is not it at all. Not even close. Satan was created by God. He's an angel. Okay? So, when did this war take place? Well, it had to be after creation, because God created them. And then why did it, but then why was it uh, uh, before the fall of man? Why, how would we know that? That's right. Because Satan was in the garden tempting Adam and Eve. Okay? So, there's at least a time frame there, you know, bookends, if you will, as to when, the, when, this, thing, when this war took place. Now then, next question about it. Why? Why in the world did it happen? And again, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us, but it, it would appear, okay, that Satan was not satisfied with the role he'd been given by God. He wanted a higher position. Some will say he wanted to be God himself, which is, is ludicrous, but, but it, his pride uh, brought him to a point to where he wanted more than he had and he was, he was dissatisfied. Let me let's let's turn to a passage in regard to that. A couple of passages, and they'll work for our advantage later when we see another thought. But turn to to First Corinthians chapter eleven, I believe. Yes, First Corinthians eleven. Now, this is a this is a very interesting passage, okay? Because uh, uh, growing up. All I ever heard about this passage was uh, the the argument as to whether uh, a woman had to wear a hat in church or not. That's, this is true now. Where I went to church, uh, there was a debate as to whether a woman had to wear a hat when she was in church. And a man could not, not in church. A lot of men where I'm from wore cowboy hats, but oh, they take those off and never would go into the sanctuary with it on. Based on this passage, don't. That's another another study for another time. 
Okay. But there is a verse here that is going to help us out, hopefully, in our understanding. Um, so, okay. Oh, oh, wait. The other argument was whether a woman could have long hair. I'm sorry, whether she could have short hair. She had to have long hair. Couldn't cut her hair. That comes from this passage as well. So there's a lot of stuff that comes out of here. That's not our purposes tonight. Alright? Another time. Another study. Okay. Now then. Let's, let's look at verse 8. And, and again, this is jumping in the middle of a, of, a, of a context we'll have to deal with some other time. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now watch. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Okay, y'all. This context is really all about just accepting the role that God gives you. Being satisfied with the role God gives you. So there's an interesting... It's like it's just an afterthought thrown in there because there's nothing else in here about angels. But he says, for this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Now then, hang on to that and turn to Jude. You know where Jude is? It's the next to last book, right before Revelation. Little bitty. Remember, Jude is the one that doesn't have chapters because there's only one chapter. Okay. Now look at verse 6. Jude, verse 6. <clears throat> and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. Hear that? And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home. These he's kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment. On the great day. Now we'll come back to that later to, to clarify that a little bit more. But there's the state. They just they didn't keep their place of authority. They weren't satisfied with that. Alright, now, because of that discontent and that pride, it says that Satan was I'm sorry, this is back in Revelation twelve. After the war, Satan and his angels are defeated. And it says they were cast out and hurled where? Does it say? You remember? Tell you where it said. Hurled to the earth. That's right. Guys, Satan is not in hell. Not yet. Satan is not the king or the prince of hell. No, 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 no. Satan will be punished in the deepest, darkest, hottest corner of hell. Whatever it is. He's not going to be the ruler. He's definitely not now, and he definitely will not be after this life. Don't misunderstand. Now, as a matter of fact, he was hurled here. Ah, then you have the temptation, Adam and Eve, and of everyone else, including you and me. Guys, that's why things are so difficult right now. Because he knows how to attack he knows where to attack and what to attack with. Have you ever noticed? And I was true for this, true for me. And your struggles with with temptation and sin does it doesn't it seem like it's always the same stuff? 
over and over and over again. That's because Satan knows where to hit you. Now, familiar passage along those lines. Ephesians chapter 6. I say this should be familiar passage for most. Verse 10. We'll start there. Very familiar. Okay, here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Now, that's, we know that, right? That's familiar. But why? Why do we need to put on the full Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guys, we're, we're in a spiritual battle. Every moment of every day. And that's because he, Satan, he's the one that orchestrates this, this offensive against us. And that's why we put on the full armor of God to stand against Satan and all the schemes that he has planned to try to destroy us. Familiar passage from 1 Peter chapter 5. Isn't that right? 1 Peter 5? Yeah, 8 and 9. For the, the devil is like a roaring lion. He prowls around looking for those whom he may devour. He's after us. We are in a spiritual battle. And notice he emphasizes, Paul does in Ephesians 6, this is not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. Now it manifests itself physically, but this is a, spirit, a battle of spiritual forces. So as Satan and his angels attack, look what we have. We have a whole host of angels to help us in this, in this battle. All right? So the battle is real. It is a spiritual battle. Satan is on attack. And we, uh, we have overwhelming forces to defeat him. By the way, that war in heaven, Revelation 12, who wins? Michael and his angels. Look at that. God didn't even have to get involved. <laughs> Michael and his angels defeated Satan. It is. Right? And now we, you and I, if indeed we're children of God... We've got God himself living inside us through his Holy Spirit. We have the arsenal on hand to defeat Satan every single time. Alright, so, war in heaven, Satan's cast to the earth, and thus we have the spiritual battle each and every day. But we are so empowered to be victorious. Amen? Okay, next, next major point. I, t I simply call this ministry toward believers. That's angels and their ministry toward believers. So we're just going to look at some areas and some ways that in Scripture, angels minister towards followers and believers in God. Alright? First one. They guide. They guide. Turn to Genesis 24. 
Genesis chapter 24. Okay, this is, a, this is an interesting scenario because an angel is actually going to guide someone to find a wife. All right? Isaac, I believe, to find him a wife. Watch. Let's see. Look at verse, well, let's, let's just go to verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native lands, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. <laughs> Guiding him to find a wife for his son. And then jump over to verse 40. It's verse 40. He replied, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son, for my own clan, and from my father's family. It worked. It worked. He did it. So you know what? Some of you guys out there, there's still hope. It might take an eye. It might take an angel. I'm just messing with you. Okay? So, that was just a very specific thing, guide to find a wife. But that means there is a guiding that goes on. That doesn't mean it's limited to just that. But they guide. They lead. Good. That's good. That's really good. Okay? Next point. Not only do they guide, they provide for. Hmm? Provide for. Turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 6. First Kings chapter six. That doesn't look right. Oh no! I look. No wonder it doesn't look like look right. First Kings chapter nineteen. There we go. Elijah. All right. Now watch this. Now Elijah. At this point in time, he's depressed, he's sad, uh, he, he feels defeated, okay? All right, look at verse, well, we're going to have to, look, we'll have to start in verse 3. Let's start in verse 3. And this is an interesting context because in the previous chapter, I don't know if you're familiar with Elijah on Mount Carmel, when they had this huge God contest between Jehovah and Baal. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You need to go read that. Read chapter 18. It's powerful. And Elijah, he wins this amazing victory. God does actually through Elijah. And, it's a, and then Elijah finds out that Jezebel is out to get him. And he's scared to death. Run scared. I, I don't get it. Anyway, so look at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, 
and prayed that he might die. Oh, woe is me. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. He's in a bad place. Watch this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. Now, provide for maybe some, some hot baked bread and water. You know, he's in a bad place. An angel comes to him and says, get up, eat. And he does so, providing food. Now, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that you know an angel's going to give you lunch every day. I'm just saying... They can indeed provide for however that works out and how that plays out. They are involved with providing for uh, believers and followers of God. Okay? Not only do they guide, not only do they provide for, they also protect. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. Here's chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, we've used this passage earlier in this study. It was the passage about they're either visible or invisible. So you should remember it. This is, this is when uh, Elisha, Elisha is in Dothan. The king of Aram is after him. Remember that? The king of Aram sends his troops. They surround the city of Dothan. And Elisha's servant is scared to death. What are we going to do? And Elisha prays. Open his eyes so that he may see. And the servant's eyes are open and there's horses and chariots of fire surrounding them all. And by the way, great victory there. Okay? But the whole idea of protection, they protect. In a terrible, seemingly a hopeless situation, and yet, they're there. They're there to protect. Okay? So now go to Acts chapter 27. We'll see one. Let's see one from the New Testament. Where they, uh, where they protect. Acts 27. Now this involves... Oh, go ahead. Acts 27. Take a moment. Turn that Bible. Acts 27. This is uh, the, the account of Paul's... The Apostle Paul's shipwreck. Don't know if you're familiar with that or not. But he's on his way to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. Okay? And so they're in this boat... And the weather gets real, real bad. As a matter of fact, ultimately, it's going to wipe out the boat and, <clears throat> and they're going to be stranded on the island of Malta. Right? But, but let's take a look at a couple of things in the process of that. All right. Look at verse 23. Now, this is in the, this is in the middle of the storm. Verse 23. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. 
And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So an angel told him, oh God, hang in there. It's going to be all right. And that's exactly what happens. Okay? Protection. Right now, turn to Psalm 91. The 91st Psalm. higher dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Wow! Protection! Now look. I understand that uh, sometimes terrible things happen to folks. I get it. I had a a person asked one time, and it was involving a specific example. There was a there was a family at Washtenaw Christian that uh, I, I, I've got to be careful with this. This is a true a true though. I don't want to get too specific. Needless to say, they were uh, enjoying a day by a lake, a big picnic for the whole family, big large family gathering, and a little a little boy, three I think. He was along the edge of the lake, and people were there watching. The water was shallow, shallow. Anyway, I don't know exactly how the the circumstances played out for him to be there. And anyway, some somehow or other, he tripped and fell, and he hit his head on a rock, and he landed face down in this this much water, and, and he didn't make it. He didn't make it. He actually drowned in that much water. And some will say, you, you call that protection? Where were the angels then, huh? Where were the angels that you're telling me protect us in that situation? I'll tell you where they were. They were right there waiting to be called to respond. And they didn't get the call. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God is the one who makes the calls. So if, if, if someone's going to criticize, you take your criticism to God. I guarantee you this, He can handle it. You know, the old expression, the buck stops here, that's, that's God. And why sometimes he sends the angels and why sometimes he does not, I don't know. I don't presume to know. You know what? I don't have to know. I'm just going to trust him in those things. So the angels, oh, they're ready to roll. Right? They're, they're just waiting for the command. And in 
that particular case, they didn't get it. God can handle the criticism and the questions. We may never have answers in this lifetime, but we'll get them. We'll get them someday. Our, our calling is to trust Him in the good and the bad. But they're here and they do. They do protect. The next point, and it's somewhat similar, but it's a different word, and so I like to take a look at it. They also deliver. They deliver. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Now this should be a familiar... If you grew up going to Sunday school, you, you'll get this one. You'll, you'll know this one. When you first hear the, the name Daniel, what do you think of? Daniel in the lion's den, right? That's right. Okay? Now, in that story, and God's deliverance from Daniel, or deliverance of Daniel from the lions, notice this. Let's go ahead and start with verse 19 just to grasp a little bit of this account. And I'm not going into the whole thing. I'm, I'm hoping that you know this account. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? By the way, the king was foreign. He was. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. It was an angel that delivered Daniel from the lions in the lion's den. God sent an angel for Daniel's deliverance. Ah, I love that. Love it. Okay, how about another one? Turn to Acts chapter 12. Here we go to the New Testament again. Acts chapter 12. <coughs> Boy, this is, a, this is a, a really amazing account here. If you're not familiar with, uh, with Peter and his escape from prison in Acts chapter 12, it's a really cool deal. Uh, yeah, Peter's in prison and uh, uh, pro very likely awaiting execution the next day. And so in the middle of the night, God brings an earthquake and, and Peter is is free. You've got the church. They're all gathered together praying, uh, praying like crazy for him. Well, all of a sudden this earthquake, Peter uh, starts to walk out. Watch this. Let, let's, 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 let's read it. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, him, Peter, oh, yeah, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now didn't that go? The angel goes, hey, Peter, get up, wake up. Get up, his chains fall off. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea that what, what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. But it, it was really happening. And the angel was leading him out of there. They passed the first and 
second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. I mean, just led them right out of the prison to freedom. Delivered. Right? Amazing. All right? Turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Well, we'll get there. There we go. <coughs> Psalm 34. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. He delivers in those circumstances in those times when you feel like you're in trouble or you're in danger you're in a situation here's a good one what about and this may seem silly but it's not because I know there's I've got family members this is a big one what about in bad weather tornadoes hurricane we're in those situations look you got a fort. You got a fortress. You got a host surrounding you to protect you, to deliver you. So take heart. Do do whatever you have to do for your protection, but don't don't fret. Don't worry, because God has sent those. If you're His child, okay. Remember, this is angels' ministry to believers, and you've got a force around you. To guide, to protect, to deliver. And these angels. Okay. Now, here's the next the next point. And, and this, this is one of my favorites because of the passage we'll use to confirm it. <sighs> Not only do they they uh, deliver, they they strengthen. They strengthen us. This is an often overlooked passage. It's just one verse. Often just skipped right over, and I don't really know why. When the Lord struck me with it one day, I was like, oh my goodness. There's so so many powerful things in this verse, okay? So you need to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Now then, if indeed you are a believer, if you're a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, then, then this is a very familiar section of Scripture. Okay, this is, we're going to look at the night before Jesus was crucified. All right? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, uh, a select few, three of his, the ones he's closest to, he's pulled to, to be closer to him. Why? Because he is under incredible stress and anxiety. If you think Jesus, as the Son of God, was, all, was above any of that, stress and anxiety and worry, those things, 
Now remember, he was also human. And he was under incredible stress this particular night. And we get a glimpse of his, a part of his prayer in, because uh, he was there all night. Okay? But we get a glimpse of part of his prayer. Again, this is a, this is a familiar section of scripture. But I, I, I'll, I'll bet, if I were a betting man, I bet some of you have just kind of skipped a rock over this verse. Okay? So, we'll begin verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. <coughs> on, reaching the place, on reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. And here's these infamous words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In, in Matthew's account of this same scene, it says he, he was, he was uh, in anguish, in anguish to the point of death. Sorrowful. In anguish to the point of death. This is incredible stress. As a matter of fact, look at look at verse look at verse forty four. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, and, and you may be familiar with that as well, guys. He sweat blood. It's an actual physiological condition. Under great degrees of anxiety and stress, small capillaries in the sweat glands can burst, and in that sweat is actually mixed with blood as it drips, as it drips from him. So that's incredible stress and anxiety. But watch this. I, I skipped a verse. I skipped it on purpose. Let's go back and read 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Look at verse 42. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Are you kidding me? See, I can't can't ever, I can't ever read that verse and not be emotionally moved. Because my Lord Jesus Christ, remember, yeah, he was God, but he was also man. And he's stressed, he's sorrowful, in great anxiety, sweating blood. He needed to be strengthened. And how did God do it? Sent an angel to strengthen him. So I tell you what I come away with. There's plenty of times I need to be strengthened. I'm, I'm weak as rainwater. There's plenty of times that I need to be strengthened. And I see this scene, and in my mind I envision Jesus in such great sorrow. And an angel comes to him to strengthen, to encourage him in this terrible, terrible time. 
And I think, you know what? If Jesus needed strengthening, oh my goodness, you know how often I need to be strengthened? And sometimes he chooses an angel to do it. Thank you, God, for the strength you provide for us in all of our times of weakness, in all of our times of, of anguish and sorrow, in all of the in those scenarios that we face in this life. And we thank you ultimately for the strength you give us, however you do that. And in those cases where you choose to use angels, we thank you for that as well. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Remember, sometimes visible, visible, sometimes invisible. They could be there and you never know it. I love that passage so much. Okay, next, the next one they minister to believers, I have down, I put down, is they comfort believers. Now, the first passage I used was one we just saw, uh, as far as we were talking about deliverance, and that was Paul's shipwreck. You think about it, they're, in, on, this, they're on this boat, this ship, the weather is horrible. They don't see themselves making it, and an angel tells them, hey, you know what, you just hang in there. You just hang there. Stay on the boat. Now it's going to be destroyed, but you're going to make it. You just hang in there. Okay? Go back to Acts 27. We'll look at the end of that scene. Verse 41. They're in the midst again, that storm, right? But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The boat's destroyed. The ship is destroyed. And what happens? Verse, verse 44. The rest were to get there on planks, or on, this is to the island, or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. And they landed on the island. They, they swam to the island of Malta. So the angel tells them, hey, hang in there. You're going to make it. And they do. So comfort in the storm, whether that's an actual storm or the storms of life. So they will indeed have a part in providing comfort. Look at, uh, look at Matthew chapter 4. to keep these pages together. Matthew chapter 4. Now then, this is after the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan comes at him head to head. Uh, mano y mano. One on one. Here's, here's Satan attacking Jesus. Uh, and Of course Jesus wins in every case. Right? <clears throat> look at this when it's over when that for 40 days by the way how many things did Satan tempt Jesus with well the text tells us about three okay but if I'm not mistaken is it Luke's account that says 
And he was tempted for 40 days. Y'all, this was an onslaught for 40 days. That's why he was so hungry. He'd gone head to head with Satan for 40 days. One thing after another. We are made privy to three of those temptations. All right. Anyway, that was a huge battle. But once it was over, look at verse 11. Matthew 4. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that great? Angels came and attended him. After the battle, after the war in this case, they came to him to, to, to comfort, to, uh, to attend him, the text says. So look, they're with us all the time in one way or another. These are just certain specifics that we see described in the text. And then finally, one more, and I didn't even put the, the verse down. I think I know it. I had to add this one to my original study because uh, as I read it, I thought, oh my goodness, well there's another one we need to include as far as ministry toward believers, and that is they carry believers to heaven when they die. I say to heaven, they carry believers to the afterlife, whatever that might be. Uh, I know, that, and that's a, another study. But at death, they will carry the believers to uh, to where they are going. To where they are going. Okay, Luke chapter sixteen. Luke chapter sixteen. Luke sixteen. All right. Verse 19. Now this, again, this account right here, <clears throat> there's a lot of amazing things we can learn from it. For our purposes, we're going to stop short of completion, all right? But we need to understand this. Here we go. Luke chapter 16, we'll start in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now watch this. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now stop right there. That's all we need from this text for our purposes. Okay? So wherever Abraham was, that's where this guy Lazarus went. But it says, when he died, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So there is, we do have a record. We do have an account of where angels were part of this process of, of escorting us, if you will, to, uh, to a good place. Figure where Abraham is, good place, right? So there is a ministry, at least in this case, where they were a part of doing that very thing, escorting uh, this believer to Abraham's side. So, y'all, that collection of, in this ministry toward believers, we had, uh, they guide, they provide for, they protect, they deliver, they strengthen, they comfort, and they carry believers to heaven. Wow. Th those are just specific ones that I was able to find. 
uh, as I looked into the scriptures about the things that they do. And I'm sure there are more, but my goodness, that's plenty. That's enough for me. I'm just, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for what they do. I think, I'm thankful for the way God uses them in this interaction we have with Him. And remember, that is the goal. The goal is for us to be more conscious of God's presence, God's interaction with us each and every day. Sometimes He chooses to use angels. Okay? Now, next time we'll, uh, we'll look at their ministry toward unbelievers. There's not. We don't get a whole lot. Okay? And then we'll look at the idea of individual guardian angels. Okay? And, uh, and then there's more. I just throw it, throw it up some crumbs out there to let you know where we're uh, where we're headed. But for tonight, for tonight, for this session, we're done. I, uh, I hope you have a great night and a great day tomorrow. God be with you.